All right, fans of Big Fight Weekend, this is something new in our relationship with our new content partner, Insider Dan Rayfield is back with me. And we decided to call this thing Fight Freaks Unite and the weekend recap here from Fight Freaks Unite. Uh, So, Dan, let's just get right into it. We had three interesting bouts uh, this past weekend. It began with Gennady Golovkin and Ryota Murata for the Unified Middleweight Championship. We did preview it. The fight now over and done with a ninth-round TKO for Triple G. Your thoughts immediately after it is over with, with Golovkin getting the victory? That boxing is a much better sport when Triple G is active and fighting. He's so exciting. I mean, even waking up early in the morning on a Saturday, I know uh, I was hearing grief from uh, uh, readers and, and, and social media folks who, who live overseas in Europe and places like that who are used to getting up in the early morning hours to watch our fights here in America. We are not used to that uh, here, watching fights that take place, that are big fights that take place in Asia. Uh, but I did it. Lots of people did it. Uh, I set my alarm, and I was happy I did it. Look, Triple G, it was, it was, it was a tale of two fights, TJ. It was, the, is this an old man, Triple G, that just looked ragged in the first three or four rounds and just looked like he was uh, kind of a mess? Or was it the Triple G that poured it on and just, you know, destroyed Murata the last, say, five or so rounds of the fight? Um, they both were coming off long layoffs. Triple G, 14 months. Murata, even longer, about 28 months. And so, you know, if the guy was going to be Ruster, you'd think it might be Murata but he's a little younger than Triple G. But the bottom line was, it's how you end and not how you start in boxing. And uh, perhaps a rough start for Golovkin, but by the time that fight was over, it was like a train going downhill without the brakes. He was just leaving, uh, you know, uh, hurtful shots on on Murata's face and body. And, you know, he scored a, a good knockout. It reminds you that he still got the power uh, and, and he's still a, a tremendous fighter and he's a Hall of Famer. And, you know, I'm a huge fan and have been since he, uh, was still fighting over in Germany many years ago, and I can't wait to see him back in the ring. You know, the fight with Canelo, if it happens, if he wins Canelo in May, going to be a different story, a different kind of opponent, but, you know, bring on the trilogy. Love the uh, the insight that you have, having covered his career for so long. We should make mention to the audience that if you were with us on the Brother Podcast, on the Big Fight Weekend Preview Podcast, you said correctly, I don't know that Murata is that guy to really test him. And you were right that as the fight went on, he clearly, yes, would land some shots, but he clearly didn't have the big enough punch. So I bow to you figuratively <laughs> on that. He's been doing it a long time. And you hey, were it wasn't right that, on that complicated of a comment, frankly, about it. I right. mean, Murata's a good fighter, but it was, and he showed a lot of heart, but he's just not at that level. Triple G has for years been an A plus to an A fighter. And Murata at his best is probably a B plus fighter. And, you know, the difference showed in, uh, and uh, you know what? Uh, uh, Triple G turned 40 years old the day before the fight on Friday. So happy birthday to uh, Golovkin. Uh, unifies two of the middleweight titles and um, looked, looked I thought, pretty good in the second half of what uh, ultimately became a nine-round fight. And, you know, good for him. He gets the win, gets another belt, made a ton of money, and he can look forward and sit back and watch and see what happens May 7th with Canelo. Good points on that. And then we point to Triple G Canelo, it looks like, for the fall. Again, Fight Freaks Unite is going to be here off the weekends to kind of recap things. Dan already does that. Uh, again, he does a great job through his Substack and now through BigFightWeekend.com of, uh, of of keeping everybody engaged. Also, his fa- Facebook page. He loves that name, 
uh, Fight Freaks Unite. So that's what we decided to call this, this recap that we're going to be doing on Big Fight Weekend. So fight number two is the one that I think, uh, I think it's fair to say you were the most intrigued for this weekend to see what Ryan Garcia would look like. We now know it was a 12-round decision, dare I say kind of anticlimactic after some early fireworks. Is that fair? He gets the decision over Emmanuel to go in San Antonio, Texas, the, the Ghanan uh, veteran fighter. Um, okay, what are your thoughts after Garcia's layoff? He gets a decision win, Dan. It is fair to say anticlimactic because Ryan and his team and a lot of people were talking about he's going to get a scorching knockout, you know, two or three rounds. Um, but I have to say, while the fight itself may have been disappointing for the action and for the excitement and all that, I am going to take a different view than a lot of people that have been all over Ryan Garcia. You know, he was fighting a smaller guy, which he really wasn't. There had been the same weight class. In fact, Ryan came up from 130. Uh, he's taller, yes, but, you know, we'll get to the taller fighter later with Vendora and Lubin. But you don't make boxing matches based on height. You make it on weight. In any event, um, uh, people were ragging on Ryan. Like, he should have put him out of there. He should have knocked him out quick. He was fighting a nobody, blah, blah, blah. You know what? Whatever. To me, for Ryan Garcia coming off of a 15-month layoff, coming off of hand and wrist surgery and having not been in the ring for a while with lots of big action in front of him, still only 23 years old, people should remember uh, that to go. And for the first time in his career to know he can go 12 rounds to win every single second of every round. Frankly, the fact that there were judges on the panel that even gave Tago one round, I think one gave two rounds. I even have a problem with that because to me, there wasn't a single round that he won in that fight. That was a clean 12 to nothing shutout in my opinion. Plus Ryan got a knockdown, landed a lot of good shots. You know, he went to 12 rounds. That was a good experience for him. And I'll say this also about that fight. You cannot necessarily get a guy out of there if, A, he's got a good chin, which Tego obviously does, and, B, if he's not there to fight. Tego was there to survive, to run, to hold, to do everything in his power to not get hit and to make the final bell. And he was determined, and he did what he set out to do, obviously. And uh, it should not be a negative reflection on Ryan Garcia, who also, besides the things I mentioned, like the injury and the time off, was also in his first fight with the new trainer and Joe Goosen, which takes time to gel. Now, I actually texted with Ryan um, on Sunday about the fight, and he was disappointed that he didn't get the knockout. He said, you know, he, he there was things he could have done better. And you know what? I'm glad to see that he's taken that point of view, that he will be back in the gym working hard with Joe and, uh, and looking for the bigger fights. I also thought he showed some maturity after the fight when uh, my good pal Chris Mannix from DAZN asked him about what he wanted to do next. You know, he's always one of the first guys that will call out another opponent. He's been calling out Tank Davis for a long time and others. And he said, you know what? I'm done with that. Don't, you know, I don't want to lie to the fans. You know, when the fight happens, it happens. So he, you know, people know who I want to fight. I'm going to leave it up to my team to go make the fights. I thought that showed some maturity. He wants those big fights. There's money to be made for everybody in those big fights. It's what we want to see. Uh, uh, in terms of big fights, why we call it big fight weekend. Uh, and, 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 you know, he showed that maturity that let my team handle it. I'm going to handle my business in the gym. I'm going to get better with Joe. And uh, he got in 12 good rounds. I, I don't, I don't think there's negativity to be associated with this performance or whatsoever. So I do have to confess here that I've been in communication with Dan refill all weekend. Um, uh, we've been talking on the phone. We've been texting. We've been emailing. You just dropped now on the Fight Freaks Unite recap podcast that you've been texting with Ryan Garcia. I had not heard that until right now. So it just begs a couple of fun questions. Does he send little emojis? Do you send little emojis when you're going back and forth with a fighter? Did he send uh, you an emoji? Was it a muscle? Was it a 100? What did he send you? 
in in this particular case, no emojis. I have I have gotten emojis from from fighters in the past of different things, but in this particular case, you know, Ryan Ryan's a good kid. I've known Ryan Garcia since he was an amateur fighter, long before he had eight million Instagram followers, long before he was a uh, famous superstar athlete and a guy that sold a lot of products through his social media. Uh, he's a genuinely good guy. Uh, you know, I think he's misunderstood by a lot of people. Um, he's a hard worker. He wants to be great. Um, you know. I think maybe he might want to lay off the social media a little bit, but that's mm-hmm. a small, small quibble. He's a very talented fighter. And let me say he has, I was talking to, to somebody uh, over the weekend about what, what I saw on, on Saturday night. He's got two of the fastest hands I have seen in boxing since like the very, very prime Gary Russell. He's got that type of hand speed. And, uh, you know, Tago could not deal with it. And a lot of opponents that he's going to face are not going to be able to deal with it. Plus he's going to be, you know, taller than a lot of his opponents for, you know, He's got a chance to really be something special. He's just got to, you know, get the opportunity for those fights, put the work in, which he seems willing to do. And uh, no, no emojis, though, in the text messages. Love all of this here from my man, Dan, on this. Uh, one more to go. And it was arguably the fight of the weekend, probably was, and maybe an early candidate. I know it's only early April for fight of the year. Sebastian Fondora and Erickson Lubin in the main event on Showtime, Premier Boxing Champions main event, 154-pounder. Eliminator fight, WBC, whatever you want to call it, et cetera. I interim said, title. Interim, interim title. title. They got so many shenanigan ways to describe these things. Thank you. I sent you a text message without emojis that said firefight second round because I know you were glued in on Garcia. I'm sure you had 57 other people communicating and texting with you. It was a firefight in that second round, action-packed throughout. Give me the recap thoughts on Fight Freaks Unite here from Dan Rayfield about that one. And even the seventh round may be a candidate for the round of the year at this point. Again, it's April. I, I, you know, you suspect, we hope actually that there'll be something that trumps it, but it was a hell of a fight. No matter what happens, it'll be in that conversation in those honorable mention type fights. You know, even if it is not the ultimate fight of the year, you know, they made the point on Showtime, uh, the host, Brian Custer, um, that the, the host venue where they had this fight, which is in Las Vegas, which is the Virgin Hotels, that's the new name for what used to be the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas. And the last time Showtime was at that venue when it was called the Hard Rock was, I believe it was 2018, in that same room, in that same ring, produced the actual fight of the year, uh, a fight that I was there ringside for, the uh, 154 unification fight, also in the same weight division, between Arislandi Lara and Jared Hurd, which was a phenomenal fight. And uh, they went to war. Maybe this fight between Fandora and, and, and Lubin didn't, wasn't at that intense level, but it was pretty darn close. Um, I thought that it was a spectacular fight. You know, Lubin was, was doing extremely well handling the tall, uh, you know, height of Fandora, the size advantage. But he also was a sucker for the uppercut. Uh, mm. You know, Fandora could not miss with that shot. It was the same, you know, coming from maybe a little different angle because of Fandora's size. But, you know, if you remember when... Erickson uh, got knocked out in his his only previous loss when he when he uh, was up against Charlo for the junior middleweight title back uh, 2017. It was also an uppercut that got him that night that he didn't see. But the uppercut could not miss. So that caused him a lot of problems. But he hung in there. Both guys showed a lot of heart. He also got Fandora with some good shots, knocked him down for the first time in his broker. Just a back and forth battle. We talked about it, you know. We, we kind of favored Lubin a little bit, but we all, I think not just you and me, but everybody was thinking this is going to be a very competitive, uh, you know, good hard hitting kind of fight. That's exactly what it was. Um, I have to say though, uh, even though Lubin was winning on the scorecards at the time that the fight was stopped, you have to give huge credit and, and respect to uh, the great trainer 
that is in Eric Lubin's corner, Kevin Cunningham. I have known Kevin for over 20 years. I go back to the days when he was training, uh, you know, a young uh, Corey Spinks, uh, you know, a young Devin Alexander when he was just starting out. Uh, Kevin is the kind of guy that truly cares for his fighters. And he had his guy was, was on the scorecards leading, but he was, he was so busted up his face, which turned out to be a broken nose. Um, also a separated shoulder. I, I was uh, fearing you know, that it was a broken jaw looking at that. I mean, I'm no expert on facial injuries, but the way it was swollen around the jaw in the eighth and the ninth uh, round in between round, I was concerned for that as well with still several rounds to go in the fight. But, you know, to Kevin's credit, you know, the, 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 the human being is more important than getting the win. It's, it's, it's uh, make sure you stay healthy as possible and live to fight another day. It's, it's a very, very, very hard loss. We cannot sugarcoat the magnitude of this loss for Erickson Lubin. Um, but, but Kevin uh, deserves a salute for doing his job, for protecting his fighter so he can go home to his family and uh, hopefully come back uh, strong. And if he has the wherewithal to, to pick himself up and dust himself off and, and uh, try to make another run. But uh, it was a great fight, a little bit of an anticlimactic ending because of that. But uh, all credit to the heart from Erickson Lubin for the, for the same thing for Fundora, for the great uh, coaching job that Kevin did. And Kevin, if you listen in the corner, which I was watching the show and listening to what he was telling uh, Lubin between rounds, he was giving him all the right advice. It's just Erickson could not implement it exactly as he wanted it. And Fundora was able to, to keep him off. And how much do we credit Fondora for that? Because, again, this is me. He didn't try to fight at distance really at all. He got on top of him, stayed inside of him, and really wouldn't let Lubin off the ropes and get away from him. How much do we credit Fondora for that strategy, which obviously worked and got him the stoppage? Oh, there's no doubt about it. I mean, Fondora, you know, we talked about it uh, a few days before the fight. He has this incredible physical gift of height and reach, and he doesn't really use it. Just imagine if he can become a hybrid where at times he can use it when he needs to. And then other times, like he did very effectively against Lubin to, like you said, get inside and, and fight a, a phone booth type of fight. Uh, do people even know what phone, booth, phone booths are anymore? In I, I prefer now bathroom stall. Phone booths don't go. exist anymore. They could have fought that sucker in a, in a bathroom stall the other night. There was not much lateral movement. There was not much mystery to where it was being fought. You're absolutely right. But Lubin is young. He's hungry. He's game. He's fresh. He's excited. He's motivated. Um, and outside the ring, Lubin, I mean, uh, well, both of them are just super nice guys. But when they're in the ring, it's like they just turn into different kind of people. And he's just going after it. I mean, Fundora, you know, I've been a little bit skeptical because he's been a little bit more sizzle uh, than steak, I guess, lately in, in terms of, you know, he gets so much attention because of the height. But with a victory like that, he's really showing himself that he's a bona fide contender. He has that interim title, the reason that interim title was up. And I often, you know, get on the organizations about interim titles. They've driven me crazy for years uh, with that. I kind of, kind of get this one. Both of them had fought previous eliminators. And if the byproduct of having the organizations allow Charlo and Castaño to meet again for the undisputed title. And one of the sort of things that had to do to let that happen was to allow this fight to be for the interim title for the greater good. I'm okay with that. I'm curious, too, and that's fine with all the alphabet soup with the organizations. I get it. I leave that to you and others to help me navigate and straighten through that. Uh, but back to Fundora, he took a lot of punches again. He's shown a good chin. My concern is if he's in there with a Charlo or he's in there with a bigger puncher, as often as he's getting hit, is that not a recipe for big trouble? Because Lubin, to your point a little while ago, Lubin got to him. Lubin knocked him down, had him had him shook up by his own admission after the fight. Is it a concern moving forward that he gets hit so much and a bigger puncher may be able to take him out? Absolutely. I mean, you you want to 
be able to go back and look at the video, uh, critique yourself, his coach critique him, see what he did wrong. And look, you go into the gym to work on certain things and uh, a little bit more defensive responsibility should be at the top of their list because if he can become a fighter, uh, I mean, he's never going to be a guy that's going to run around and not look to engage. But you don't have to um, be a runner. You can use slight nuance to get hit with a few less punches and even a few less punches over the course of a 12-round of a fight is going to make you last longer and give you a better chance to be in the fight. So I do think he might have some trouble with a, with a more refined fighter than Lubin was or maybe be one that's a little bit bigger of a puncher or better overall skills. Uh, but he's doing well for himself. I mean, he's 19 and 0 with uh, the one draw. Um, he's looked good. He's fought, you know, an increasing level of opposition. He's, he's 26, but he's sort of a young 26. He didn't have this massive amateur background. Um, and by the way, even if Fundora goes on and let's say he loses a fight, which, you know, guys lose, it's going to happen. How do you not want to watch the guy fight? How exciting is he? Somebody made the mention. I forget who it was. Maybe I saw it on social media. Said uh, in a, and I say this in a good way, not the negative way that some might perceive it. Reminded them of a margarito, just with the intense, come forward, nonstop pressure. Uh, that 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 was the sort of the the way that Margarito in his day fought. Not obviously as big of a fighter in terms of his physical presence, but uh, he's got that sort of like intensity where I'm coming to take your head off. And let's see who can take care of the business first. Six foot five, six foot six, whatever. Like I joke from Fletch, six five, six nine with the afro. Hey, what about Fletch? Uh, whatever it is, he's tall. He's got the long arms, and he showed a chin. And man, uh, another victory. And now we'll see what happens with Sebastian Fondura. We will remind everybody again: stay subscribed or following us on this podcast feed, the Big Fight Weekend podcast feed for Fight Freaks Unite. That is the recap podcast we'll be doing whenever there's huge fights coming off the weekend. Dan Rayfield is the star of this, and I love his insight, love his thoughts. They read you more on the site, bigfightweekend.com. They can subscribe to find out more through Substack to get some of the, the inside information and also your newsletter. And I love the fact that we're branching out with more podcasts now. Fight Freaks Unite, right, Dan? One more time Great to fun. recap the weekends. Great fun. We're, I'm not going to start one, though, with you about baseball. I am doing this while wearing a Rays hat. I will mention as we release the podcast, there's one unbeaten team in baseball, and it's not the New York Yankees. It is the Tampa Bay Rays. <laughs> I don't know how long that will last, but we will have some back and forth as we go on. All I know is the Rays have officially arrived and gotten under the Yankees and their fans' skin when the Yankees are throwing baseballs at their heads and upset at them and trying to get them off their game. They used to never care about anything with the Rays, but now it's like, uh, speaking of Fondura Lubin, it's like a firefight whenever the Rays and the Yankees play. So... All good on that. Uh, Dan, thank you. We'll be reading you on the site on BigFightWeekend.com. We look forward to more with Fight Freaks Unite in the Recap Podcast. Thank you. You bet, TJ.